morning, everybody. You can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Quick question. How many of you have ever read The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? So quite a few people. For those of you who have read it, you'll know this. Those who haven't, I'll let you know that one of the things that makes these books so special is that the author, in fact, we have a slide of him here in a few moments, J.R.R. Tolkien, worked so hard to develop a backstory, a rich history that spanned thousands of years. He even created real languages as a linguist, which was his trade. And so when you read these books, you, there's a richness to it that's amazing. And you get this sense that although we have a couple stories, there's many more stories that could have been written. In fact, there's a book called Untold Tales or Un- Unfinished Tales where he it's a bunch of stories that he started and never finished. And we would only wish that he had because he's an incredible or was an incredible uh, fiction author. And I mention that because today this text, which happens near the end of the third missionary journey, is, is a travel narrative But there's so many special things that happen during this time period that we're looking at today. And I don't know if you caught the the title slide, but the the title is Stories Told and Untold. We see one story that Luke does tell in our passage, but there's a couple others he doesn't tell for whatever reason. Most likely, he just doesn't have time. He's got to get through this. He only has a limited amount of of writing space. And so we're going to fill in some of those stories today with, thankfully, a couple of Paul's letters, namely Romans 15 and 2 Corinthians, and look at these great stories. Now, uh, as we approach the end of the third missionary journey, really all we have left is where we'll go next week. Robert will preach next week and start off on the speech to the Ephesian elders. We're actually going to break that up into two weeks. I'll come back and preach the second half after Easter. So we have that incredible passage of the, the speech to the Ephesian elders, and then we also have today's passage where so much is crammed into what might be a year and a half's time period in between Paul leaving Ephesus, which is where we'll pick up today, and when he gets back around to meet with those Ephesian elders, which is where we'll be next week. So hopefully that made sense. I think as we go through, you'll see uh, some of the the timeline that that goes through in in today's passage. But as we get started, let's look at the, the big idea, the main idea of this passage. In addition to his work in Ephesus... Paul would accomplish several other important missionary tasks on his third journey. This morning, we will look at three of them. Let's pray. Father, we come back before you in prayer. We thank you again for this time we have this morning, for the journey that we have been on through this great letter, this great book of Acts, which really highlight your Acts through your Holy Spirit. And the reality that we must know today 2,000 years later is that you are still working to fulfill your great commission just as you were back then, and you're still inviting believers to come and join you on mission, Lord. And, and that's why we call this Be My Witnesses. Let us, who are your children, leave here today with that, that reality even reinforced in our minds that you are calling us to join you on mission, to be your hands and feet. You're the one who saves. You're the one who fulfills and completes this, but you long to use us for your glory. Let us be obedient. Let us be your witnesses. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first, first thing that we're going to see today is Paul's return to Macedonia and Achaia. And he, uh, what, what's great about Paul, we've talked about this several times, as he goes on a new trip, he doesn't forget the churches that he started on the previous trip. So if you remember, 
when he started this third missionary journey, the first thing he did was he went back and visited the Galatian churches from the first journey. And now before he ends the third journey, he goes back to see the churches from the second journey. Hopefully you followed that. But Paul was great about following up and reconnecting with churches that he planted. So let's go ahead and read the text, and we'll go from there. Join me in uh, verse 1 of chapter 20. After the uproar ceased, that was the riot we saw last week, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. We'll stop there. Now, the uproar, again, that was the the riot in Ephesus. So some people might think, hey, Paul kind of got scared with that. So he decided to hightail it out. But that's not true. If you remember, I skipped over a couple verses last week. We're going to go pick those back up. And so if you back up to 19, chapter 19, verses 21 and 22, you see inserted here before the riot, Paul's future travel plans. And so that tells us he didn't hightail it out of town because he was scared. He had always intended to do what we're going to see him do today. So read with me in 21 and 22. Now, after these events, so that's the book burning from a few weeks ago, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia. So think Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, and Achaia, that would be Corinth, Athens, and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having spent, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So before the riot, he shares with us this plan. In fact, he sends Timothy and Erastus kind of ahead of him as forerunners to prepare for his visit to Macedonia. And so coming back to our passage, we see here, after this uproar, after this riot, Paul sends for the disciples. This would be the church at Ephesus. Time to say goodbye. So he encourages them, and then he says goodbye. Now, a few weeks ago, we um, had a couple tables at the Piedmont Women's Center annual banquet, and our own Lena Smith uh, decided to share her plans to retire at the very end. And it was similar to this. After a great night of encouragement, where we're encouraged by this great ministry, people giving testimony, how God's saving lives, and, and how people are coming to faith in Christ, she ends by saying, hey, farewell. And I was actually walking back to my seat when she said those words, and the gasp that came collectively around was incredible. And that's similar to what Paul's doing here. He's encouraging them, much like we'll see him encourage the elders next week. So if you want to know what he says when he's encouraging these people, don't do it right now, but later read ahead in the rest of chapter 20 in this great speech to the Ephesian elders, that's what he's doing to the church. He's saying, hey, I've run my race, now it's your turn, here's the torch, keep going. And then he says, goodbye. And then it it tells us that he simply departs from Macedonia. This would be Philippi. That's where kind of the entryway to Macedonia. But what we're missing here, and what Luke does not want to share with us for whatever reason, again, probably he just doesn't have enough time, and I do want to pick this up. This was his a great ministry that he had at the end of his time at Ephesus and even beyond Ephesus, and it was his ministry to the church at Corinth. Who has read First and Second Corinthians? Who would agree that that's a messed up church? They needed some special help. And so what we don't get from Acts, but what we do get from Second Corinthians is during Paul's stay, during his ministry at the Hall of Tyrannus, again, those two years in Ephesus, and even in today's passage, He had an incredible ministry to this dysfunctional church back in Corinth. And I actually have a timeline up here to help us see all that happened uh, during this. So walk with this, uh, or walk through this with me. 
First, what happens, again, he's in Ephesus, third missionary journey, is he writes a warning letter. We don't have that letter anymore. It did not survive. But he writes a warning letter. It's referred to in 1 Corinthians 5. Again, warning them against sexual sin and a bunch of other things that they could fall into. How did he find out about what was going on? Probably Apollos. Remember Apollos went to Corinth? Well, at some point he comes back to Ephesus. So next, Chloe's people. There's my daughter. I got a little shout out there. Chloe's people uh, come also to, to Ephesus where Paul's at, telling him about this disunity problem. And they probably had a list of questions. If you read through 1 Corinthians, each chapter starts out with Paul answering a question that they would have sent to him. So her, her people's visit inspires the writing of 1 Corinthians, which is taken back. Then at some point, again, while he's still in Ephesus, he makes a quick visit to Corinth. He refers to that as the painful visit in 2 Corinthians. And then he returns to Ephesus and writes really his third letter to Corinth. And this is called the severe letter. Again, I don't think we have this letter. It hasn't survived. Some people think it's the tail end of 2 Corinthians. My opinion, it's not, but I could be wrong. Nonetheless, he writes, writes this severe letter, really hammering them in love, and he sends Titus to take it uh, to them. So at this point, back to our text today, Paul's leaving Ephesus, wondering what has ever happened to Titus, and if he was successful, and if God has led this church in Corinth, this incredibly important church, to come to repentance. And then, the next thing that happens is he leaves Ephesus, again, our passage, follow me, And he heads up the coast about 150 miles to Troas, hoping to find Titus there, and he does not. How do I know that? Next slide, you'll see this passage from 2 Corinthians 2. When I came to Troas, again, just leaving Ephesus, saying goodbye, to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took took leave of them and went on. To Macedonia. So that brings that, that tells us what happened in between him leaving Ephesus and then coming to Philippi, back to Macedonia uh, in our text. And if you go back to the timeline slide real quick, we'll see the, the next couple things that will happen. So Paul goes to Philippi, Macedonia, runs into Titus there. We see that in 2 Corinthians 7. And then Paul writes 2 Corinthians from Philippi because he's going to go back there, but he wants to send that ahead and... There's your story. So very complicated, but I want to fill in the gaps of what's happening here and tell you this incredible rescue mission story and how God uses Paul to get this very important church, which we see how far down they went, back on track in the glory and service of the Lord. So uh, that is one of the untold stories as he returns to Macedonia and Asia. Now, look back at our text with me and look at verse 2. So he's at Philippi now, he's, he's written 2 Corinthians, he's reunited with Titus and Luke, and it says that he goes through those regions and has given these churches much encouragement as well. So again, these would be the churches of the second trip, uh, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. Uh, another side story here, we don't have any, any uh, information on this story, but apparently, if you remember Robert's uh, passage he read earlier, In Romans 15, it tells us that Paul also had a mission to another Roman province of Illyricum. And Illyricum is the province north of Macedonia. We don't know anything else but that. But so during this section, he's uh, he's ministering to northern Greece. And then it tells us 
He came to Greece. Now, that was the popular name for Achaia. We should believe that that's Corinth. So he finally ends up in Corinth, and we're told he spends three months in Corinth. Now, another untold story, and I can't believe Luke left this out. Do you know what happens these three months in Corinth? He writes the book of Romans. How could Luke leave that out? He should have said, hey, guess what, everybody? This is where he wrote Romans. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Romans is the jewel of the New Testament. It's an incredible letter. In fact, uh, Richard Longnecker, you'll see the the quote up here on the slide, tells us a little bit about this great letter. The letter to the Romans is the longest and most systematic of Paul's writings and more a comprehensive exposition of the gospel than a letter as such. So, again, an incredible amount of, of ministry happens during this travel narrative, the Lord is working through Paul in incredible ways that would even go beyond his ministry and still bless us 2,000 years later. So what an incredible journey he has. And again, connecting a few other dots, if you, if you remember again Robert's passage, uh, what we've seen here, Paul's next stop, what he is hoping to do now that the gospel has permeated Asia is start reaching the Latin-speaking world of Western Europe. So his hope is to land in Rome and use that as his next staging ground to launch out into Western Europe and, again, reach the Latin-speaking people. That's his plan. But first, he's got to go to Jerusalem, and we'll get that here in a moment. But a few application points. First and foremost, this is what we call mission movement, right? Movement. He continues to move. Paul has been ministering for over 20 years at this point, God has used him to spread the gospel in the Greek-speaking world uh, to where now, as, again, Romans 15, he could leave and know there's no more work for him. At any point, right now, he could say, you know what? I'm tired. I'd love to retire, maybe take a preaching post in any one of these churches I've planted, and they would have loved it. And he would have been taken care of, and he could finish out his days in Thessalonica or Berea or Ephesus or Philippi, but he doesn't. He keeps on moving. This guy's ambitious. He's ready to take on Western Europe now. What an incredible example for us to keep on moving. And I can tell you, you could probably share some stories with me. When when Christians, when churches hit the brakes, start patting themselves on the back and eating the fruit and putting down roots and building big buildings, not that buildings are all bad, we get corrupt. And slowly the church mutates into something else. We cannot grow stagnant. We cannot stop moving. And as I was studying this week, my thoughts returned to Peter. We haven't talked about Peter in a while. And I love Peter because he's just so honest and uh, I, I just get a lot of encouragement from him. But you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? He and two other disciples went with Jesus to the top of the mountain. Jesus is transformed in all his glory. Moses and Elijah appear. And what is Peter's response? This is awesome. Let me build some houses. We stay up here and enjoy this and never let it end, right? And what did did Peter learn? No, this isn't where we're stopping. No mountaintop experience. We got to go back down. We've got to finish the mission. And Peter does this another time. You'll see this passage on the screen from Mark 1. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Capernaum. They had a day of revival the day before. People got saved. People got healed. Demons got exercised. And that, that early morning, Jesus goes out to pray. They can't find him, and they finally find him. And look what Jesus reminds his disciples of. It says, Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. Because, again, they want day two of the revival, right? And they found him and said to him, hey, everyone is looking for you. This is great. 
uh, my addition there. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. We've got to keep on moving. Jesus gives us a great example. We can't just get caught up in some great work of God and, and put down roots and, and build buildings, so to speak. We've got to keep moving with the gospel. So I wanted to pull that out uh, as far as application in this first section. So let's look at another one of these stories, and that's going to be the collection for the Jerusalem church. Now, I am not sure why Luke does not refer to this in Acts, but this is also what's happening during our passage today. Uh, Paul is traveling around to all these churches that he's helped plant, and he is taking up a collection to send relief, or actually to bring relief to the church at Jerusalem. Things aren't going well back in Jerusalem. There's a lot of poverty. Again, they're getting closer and closer to when Rome's going to come and, and, and destroy them. So what a great gesture for all these churches along all three of these missionary journeys that really owe their existence to Jerusalem, right? Don't forget the roots. And he's taking up this collection. So Luke doesn't refer to it. Luke doesn't bring it out, but it's happening. So we need to uh, uh, see this great story as well. So let's return to the text and let's read, picking up again in verse 3. So there in Corinth, he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas. There we stayed for seven days. Now returning to the passage that, again, continuing where Robert left off in Romans 15, uh, Paul refers to this offering. So let's read that real quickly, and then we'll get back to our text. In verse 25 there in Romans 15, At present, however, telling the Roman church what he's doing, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, those churches there, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So that's his plan. He's writing this from Corinth. His plan now is to take this large collection that he has gathered and take it back to Jerusalem before getting to Rome, where, again, he wants to start ministering to Western Europe. So in this passage, as we see the names of all these men, that's how we should understand this. These are representatives from all of the churches that Paul has started who they're going on behalf of their church to take the money uh, to Jerusalem. And, and what's neat here is if you look at these names and where these men are from, you have churches represented from all three missionary journeys together going with him. Paul, maybe Titus, where they were representing the Corinth church, the church at Corinth. Uh, and we also see Luke rejoin the group. Did you notice the first-person pronoun come back into the text? We, us. That's the first time we've seen the first-person pronoun. Again, Luke as the narrator, as the writer, including himself in the story, since all the way back in chapter 16. So what scholars believe, again, I, I said this earlier weeks ago, is that Luke, in the beginning of the second journey, stays in Philippi. Now that they've returned to Philippi, Luke's jumping back in, and going with Paul and the group to Jerusalem. But what happens here, the original plan 
is to get on a boat. To get on a boat from Corinth, sail all the way across the Mediterranean to Jerusalem. But Paul learns of a plot. In fact, the Greek word plot refers to a plan to do someone harm. So what scholars believe was happening here is with Passover coming, there would have been a pilgrim ship for Jews to go from Corinth, from Greece, all the way back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And so Paul was just going to hitch a ride. And so he probably found out about a plot where they were going to throw him overboard, which was the easiest way to get rid of somebody, on this Jewish ship. So he learns of that. He says, never mind, not going to do it. So he takes the long way back through Macedonia, and here are the men who are accompanying him. Now, granted, there's probably a lot of money at play, so wouldn't you like to have a team of guys around you for security reasons? And so that's what's happening here as they sail on uh, in this way. So an incredible story, an incredible willingness on his his behalf uh, to do this. And real quickly, if you look at verse 6, they come back from Corinth through Macedonia. They land at Philippi. Some of the men go on ahead to Troas. But at least Luke and Paul stay in Philippi. Look what they do. They celebrate the days of the unleavened bread. That's Passover. But what's really neat here, I do not believe they were celebrating a pure Jewish Passover. I think they're celebrating the Christian Passover, the fulfillment of Passover, which is Jesus Christ. What do we call that? Easter. We have a reference, probably the earliest reference to a celebration of Easter by a group of believers, by a church. So beautiful there. And they're now going to head to Troas. Before we get to the final story, uh, let's look at a few more application points. And the first one is this. Uh, Paul puts the needs of others ahead of himself. I think if you read a few of these passages, you see he cannot wait to get to Rome. He's been wanting to go there for a long time and finish out uh, his calling, again, to Western Europe. But he's willing to sacrifice that. He's not too far from Rome at this point. It would not have taken that long to get to Rome. Italy's just the next peninsula over, right? But instead, he's going to go all the way back, like 1,500 miles to Jerusalem, because he cared that much about his original sending church. He cares that much about the saints who are impoverished, wanting to take this money to relieve them. I think that's incredible. And also, he doesn't forget his roots. Who in your life has God used? And because of that, you're in this room right now, much less a believer in Jesus Christ. So a couple applications there. Let's not forget our roots. Let's give God glory and praise him for those men and women he's put in our life along the journey. And let's also uh, just follow his example in sacrificing what we want to do in order to take the long road and serve the needs of others. Also, uh, if you want to read more about this collection, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and you probably have been hammered with those passages at some times when, when a church is doing a, a, a giving a series or something, but that, that's the context. Now you know the context of that. So read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Here's a, a, a brief preview of it for you. This is uh, 8, 3 through 5. Uh, Paul writes there, telling uh, them about what Macedonia has done so far with the, the collection. He says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And for us, just remember, we're taking up a special missions uh, offering the next couple weeks, all the way from now, all the way up to Easter. As Robert has shared in previous weeks, and, and will again, or I think Danny will, During the announcement time, uh, this is really just to help us accomplish some of the missions above and beyond what you all are already giving. Uh, Of course, our runner's camp uh, and some other opportunities that we'll have to to share and to give and help others. So just 
Again, a little application there. Uh, another application point, there's a few here. These are really important. The shared leadership component. Think of the list of men that God had raised up to help Paul. And I was just thinking of our church. I, I've talked about this a lot. A few years ago, it was my family, Robert's family, and a few of you who God had sent. And we've had the privilege of seeing so many of you drawn here to help us with God's work. And we could come up with quite a list of men and women who are leaders in this church. And so, again, thank you uh, for circling us and helping us uh, hit the task together as a team. It's just a beautiful thing to see God's people working together. So I wanted to point that out. And then finally, and this is cool. John Stott helped me see this. I wouldn't have uh, caught it. But Luke is intentionally paralleling Paul with Jesus. Now, granted, nobody can be compared to Jesus. But nonetheless, Luke wrote a gospel account. He's now writing Acts. And so there's a lot of parallels between uh, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and Paul's journey. And I've put those up on the screen here for you because I think they're really cool. But look at the, uh, the similarities between these two missions. Both Jesus and Paul traveled to Jerusalem with a group of disciples. Both men were opposed by hostile Jews. Both made or received, in Paul's case, three successive predictions of their suffering. Both would declare their readiness to suffer for the will of God. Both were determined to complete their ministry and not be deflected from it. And both Jesus and Paul expressed their abandonment to God's will. And yes, Paul was Luke's hero. There's no doubt about it. But isn't it great to to see uh, these parallels in in Scripture? All right, so let's move on to our final story uh, from this great passage. And this one, Paul does tell us in detail, and that's the final passage we have to read today. So rejoin the text with me at verse 7, and we're going to read about the, the raising, the resuscitation of Eutychus. So they're in Troas now. They're back across the Aegean Sea in Troas. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So a lot going on here. An incredible passage. And uh, before we get to it real quick, here's a, here's a map uh, just to let you see visually what we've looked at so far. And you can see kind of the green line going from Ephesus led all the way around to Corinth. And now the dotted purple line is the, rever- the reverse trip back to Troas where we are today. And of course, we see this great miracle happen, and I'll get to that in a moment. But what I love about this passage is we get a glimpse of worship in the first century. Now, we don't want to make the mistake of some who take this passage and say, okay, we can do nothing except what's in this passage, right? No singing, no music, just what we see here. That's ridiculous. Uh, some other things happen. But, but we see some things here that are great that we're still doing as a church today. And I put these on a slide uh, for you. First and foremost, they met in homes on Sundays, first day of the week. This is the first reference we see uh, to believers gathering on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, to worship. And in reality, most early Christians during this period would have probably observed the Sabbath on Saturday and then also worshiped on Sunday. Now, eventually, by the time of about 150, the Saturday worship would drop off and it would just simply be 
uh, Sunday celebration of the Lord's Day. Second, they observe the Lord's Supper together. That's what the first reference to the breaking of the bread would have referred to. Uh, Third, they listen to the teaching of God's Word. Uh, In fact, this one would have been pretty long, as we can see. Uh, Some might say this is an accusation that Paul was long-winded, and that's not it at all. Just imagine if John Piper was passing through and wanted to hang out with some of us, or maybe your favorite preacher, famous preacher, and he had a few hours, right, from now till midnight. We would want to squeeze every ounce of teaching out of this guy before he left. And that's what's going on here. They didn't want, to, they didn't want this to end. This is Paul. He was a legend even then coming through to this young church uh, in Troas, and what a great night it was for them. Also, the word used here isn't a, a typical word for teaching. Uh, it's literally the word we get dialogue from. So it wasn't a monologue. Like, this is a monologue right now. And it can be very difficult to keep your attention for 40 minutes. That's why I put so many slides up. Uh, so this is more of a dialogue, a back and forth. Like if I said, hey, John Ross, what do you think about this young man falling in the window and getting raised? Isn't it cool? Yeah. All right, see, a little dialogue. That's, that's dialogue. So that would have been, it would have been more back and forth, maybe like a Sunday school class or a small group meeting. Uh, but nonetheless, it went on for a long time. Uh, in fact, there's a funny story that John MacArthur has told. I've always heard it from others. I've never read it myself, that he went to Russia one time and, uh, you know, he preached his standard 45-minute sermon and then he sat down and they're like, this is John MacArthur? We're used to like four hours, man. Come on. So he got back up and just kept teaching because that's in other parts of the country. It's not 40 minutes and then head to the restaurant. It's like all day. So that's happening here. It's a great time. And then finally, they had a fellowship, they had fellowship over a meal. And one of the things I love here is, and this is something you can learn about the early church, is they would practice the Lord's Supper, but then they would have a love feast afterwards. They would have a fellowship meal. And this is one of, my thing, one of the things I'd love to do here, and I look forward to doing as a church. I don't think we could do it in this space, but someday, end of our service, have the Lord's Supper, right into lunch, right into a love feast, a fellowship meal. That's going on here as well. But again, getting to the, uh, the miracle here, we have one of eight resuscitation miracles in all of the Bible right here with Eutychus uh, being brought back from the dead by Paul. Now, I don't call it resurrection because there's only one resurrection so far that we have, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He was raised from the dead and never to die again. All of the people in Scripture were raised back. They were resuscitated, but they would still die later on. And so uh, if you don't include what's going on in Matthew 27, we have eight resuscitations. This is one of them. Uh, The word here for young man is lad, Literally, that's what some translations may have, and it, it's a word used of people who are 8 to 14 years old. Give you some sense of how young he was. I have three boys sitting over there that are all in the range of 8 to 14. And you can imagine, young, young folks just can't stay up as late sometimes. Also, you, you know, it's hot up there. you got these torches. Some people will even say the oxygen supply is being depleted here. And you have a lot of people crammed into an upper room. He goes to sit by the window to get a breeze. Nods off. Tragedy. But how awesome that, uh, you know, if you're going to die at a worship service, to have an apostle there, right? That's just worked out really well. Don't try it here because we don't have this power. But God uses Paul to raise him from the dead. And it's much like what you see with Elijah and Elisha. They both um, were able to resuscitate uh, the son of a widow and, and did the very same thing. They laid their bodies on him and begged God to restore his life. Paul does that here. And you can imagine they were thrilled to have this miracle happen. And then he continues to worship with them. But uh, again, what a great, great uh, passage, a great story that Luke does include during this journey for us today. And I want to end with a couple application points, and then we will be finished with this part of the worship service. First and foremost, I just want to take this opportunity to remind you all that active listening during a sermon is worship. 
It is worship. You see, I can, and I struggle just like you do. I, like next week, Robert's preaching. Robert's a great preacher, but I have to still discipline myself to listen to his words because you know, I want to hear what he has to say, but more importantly, I want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say, and it is worship. I can sit and watch a Steelers game for three hours and never fall asleep, which isn't always an easy experience, but, and you can do the same thing. If we really want to pay attention, we can. And so I just want to encourage you, again, grace here, not law, but I want to encourage you to practice ways that you can actively engage the, the preacher uh, as they're sharing God's word. It is worship. It is a diff- definite time of worship. For me, having a pen in my hand really helps with this, taking notes. I know for some of you as well, but I want to encourage you um, with that. And then second thing, one of the great, uh, again, the holiday that's happening here was Easter. They just celebrated Easter. It's springtime. Uh, they're actually wanting to get back to Jerusalem before Passover. And so this uh, death and resuscitation miracle, uh, some people think that Luke has it in here to just make us think of the Lord's resurrection, to, to, be, to think of Easter. And so we want to do that, too. We have Easter coming up in two weeks. And let's just remember, we sang about it, incredible songs already today, but just remembering the crucifixion and the resurrection. Let not a day go by for those of you who are saved, that you don't thank the Lord and remember that he did this for us. We should have been on the cross. And so here's a passage I want to read just for us to do that right now from John 11. This takes place during another resuscitation, the the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And look what uh, Jesus says here. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come back up and Just want to take that passage into an invitation. And if you're here today and you're not saved or you just don't know, I just ask the same question Jesus asked of Martha. Do you believe this? This is why we're here. This is the rescue mission of Christ. Christianity is not about a religion. It's all about the rescue work, the redeeming work of our creator to save his children for his glory through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and through his glorious resurrection. And that's priority one for us. If there's any doubt, we want to talk to you. Whether it's today or another day this week, the invitation's open. I say that all the time. You could track one of us down today, myself, Robert, some of the other leaders and men and women in this church. Just pull someone aside and ask. Don't let another day go by. There's still question with that. That's, again, priority one. Email us, call us this week. We want to have that conversation. We want to share with you more accurately the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, for those of us who are believers, let us just worship. We're going to do that here in a moment. Continue worshiping for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word, so thankful for how you take the initiative in revealing yourself to us, of course, at salvation, but then continually as believers through your word, through your Holy Spirit who is in us. And you have done that this morning. Thank you for Paul and these great uh, missionaries who give us such an example to continue uh, the journey, the the Great Commission today. And I pray for that uh, to just really sink down into our bones, Lord, that we will be all about the Great Commission and surrendering to joining you in what you're doing around us at all times. 
continuing to bring men, women, and children to faith in Jesus Christ. But Lord, let us also just remember the glory of your crucifixion and your resurrection and how you substituted yourself for us. You paid that price for us that not a day would go by that we don't thank you and worship you and let your gift of salvation motivate us to join you and to to pursue holiness and to to be godly husbands and wives and children and parents and co-workers and citizens and, and church members, all for your glory and your kingdom. Father, be with us now. And, and if there's one person in here or more that doesn't know you, oh, Father, give them the courage to just walk across the room and talk to someone and ask for guidance, ask for help, ask for more information about your glorious gospel. And, Lord, we ask that you would save them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.